In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to the show Faith and Freedom on Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Azad Chaudhary and you're joined by my co-host Khalid Hayat. Khalid, assalamu alaikum. Today's episode is our series finale and in today's episode we'll be spotlighting freedom of religion or belief as a concept and in particular we will be discussing the challenges around promoting freedom of religion or belief but most importantly also how international bodies and governments try to advocate and promote freedom of religion or belief across the globe. Before we delve into the topic at hand, let me remind listeners that at the heart of Islam lies a fundamental principle crucial for peace and societal advancement, freedom of religion or belief. Echoed in the Quran's wisdom, let there be no compulsion in religion, chapter 2, verse 257, this proclamation underscores Islam's dedication to a society where individual choice in matters of faith is honoured, paving the way for harmony and collective progress. So diving into today's episode, according to the United Nations Special Rapporteur for Freedom of Religion or Belief, Nazila Ghanir, in 2023, 37 years after the establishment of her mandate and 42 years after the adoption of the 1981 United Nations Declaration on the Elimination of All Forms of Intolerance and of Discrimination Based on Religion or Belief, and 75 years after the proclamation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights enshrining freedom of religion, the landscape of freedom of religion or belief in the world remains very challenging indeed. There has been a marked global increase in religious restrictions and hostilities, with over three quarters of the world's population living under governments imposing high levels of regulation on religious practices such as blasphemy laws. Obviously, following the COVID-19 pandemic, this has exacerbated these trends, uh, leading to limitations on worship and burial rites. That said, however, a report by the United States Institute of peace in 2022 on the state of freedom of religion or belief found generally to support the conventional view that freedom of religion or belief um, and democracy are positively correlated. Following these findings, we can see that there are general trends that exist across the global economies. And we have conducted an interview with Dr. Fabio Petito, um, an expert on the matter. Fabio is Professor of Religion and International Affairs and Professor of International Relations in the School of Global Studies at the University of Sussex. He has taught at SOAS in London and at several other universities. Fabio is also the Director of the Freedom of Religion or Belief and Foreign Policy Initiative at the University of Sussex and the head of the ISPI programme on Religions and International Relations, supported by the Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation and member of the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe, short for OSCE, an Office for Democratic Institutions and Human Rights. Professor Fabio Petito, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The first question is around what you see as the primary challenges and setbacks faced by countries in safeguarding religious freedom and what the root causes underlie these challenges. Is it armed conflict? Is it authoritarian regimes, blasphemy laws? As you rightly said at the beginning of your introduction, Um, there is an overall, unfortunately, negative trend in terms of uh, deterioration of the freedom of religion or belief environment globally. Now, I think there are different ways in which this fundamental uh, human right, you know, um, that was clearly stated in all its um, power in the Article 18 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, I was saying there is there are different ways in which this human right is violated uh, today globally. 
I found quite useful to think in terms of three levels of possible violations of these human rights. The first one, which probably is the one which we are traditionally more focused on, is what you could say the state governmental level, because the human rights of freedom of religion or belief uh, can be violated by laws and policies uh, that restrict or prohibit these rights um, as a matter of choice by particular states. So these are the cases that uh, uh, we know with reference, for example, of laws that uh, prohibit what is known as proselytism or laws that makes very difficult the registration of religious communities that if you cannot be recognized from a legal administrative perspective in a particular country, of course, you cannot really practice uh, in, in the proper way uh, your own religious as an individual and community. Or there are laws, of course, specifically um, uh, so-called blasphemy laws that, that also have an element uh, that is uh, violating possibly uh, freedom of religion and belief. And of course, apostasy law, apostasy law are another case. And then laws that um, violate uh, the right of having places of worship and laws that also affect uh, religious symbols in the public sphere or other laws. So in other words, uh, there are laws and policies that states might have that violates the right, which is an individual right, or to freedom of thought, consciousness, religion, or belief. But that, that has also a communal dimension because you need to be able to practice this right um, in a group, the community. Now, there is a second level, uh, which I think uh, is the one which is getting more worrying nowadays. And it's that there are growing non-state societal uh, friends uh, that uh, violate uh, this uh, right. For example, violation of freedom of religion and belief can happen uh, in terms of negative stereotyping, stigmatization, hate speech, intolerance, and discrimination based on religion or belief. And these forms of uh, uh, violations and discrimination uh, are unfortunately part of a worrying, growing social trend throughout the world um, yeah. that are thriving on the crisis of established collective identities. So it's a problem of what it also refers to as growing social hostilities. And this creates a, a very a difficult environment where communities may be divided, opposing, antagonizing across religious lines, and as such, this affects communities which are discriminated and sometimes persecuted. Now, the, la the final level is an intensification of this trend, and it's unfortunately that in situations where the state structure is fragile or there are potential conflicts, these might turn into real sectarian violence. So sectarian violence across uh, based or across religious or belief lines, and therefore, <clears throat> This is also a very worrying trend that we are seeing how much this dimension uh, is becoming, of violation of the freedom of religion is becoming part of conflict or uh, violence, political violence in context of very fragile states. Yeah. So these, I think, are three ways in which we can look at, at a quite wide, unfortunately, spectrum of violations of this human right.
And you are asking about where do I see the root cause of this? Yes. Of course, many there are different root causes, but I think uh, one important development which is making the situation worse is this growing rise of religious nationalism. In many different parts of the world, this kind of new form of ideological politics, which is polarizing and antagonizing across religious and civilizational lines. And just jumping in quickly, Professor Petita then goes on to talk about the phenomenon, the religious rise of nationalism within India, and how that is now impacting adversely religious communities in that country through hate speech, uh, through stereotyping, etc. So let us now listen to that segment of the interview as well. So nowadays, for example, let me give you some examples. Uh, even if you look at countries that were not necessarily under the radar for this sort of violation. But if you talk nowadays about India, the growing forms of uh, religious nationalism that has become quite worrying, um, 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 which is a combination uh, of the, the, the action of the uh, Modi and BJP parties, Hindu nationalists, as well as some trend in society makes. But definitely, you know, this idea that, for example, you cannot be an Indian if you're not really a Hindu, yeah. you understand how much both problems for all the religious minorities, of course, for the Muslim minority, very seriously, but growing for the Christian minority, for the Sikh, and so on. In China, okay, where already there was a quite restrictive legislation, in the last 10 years, this new uh, policy that President Xi has advanced of sinicizing religion is exactly uh, pushing this idea that actually, ultimately, a religion which is not seen as belonging to the world of Chinese civilization is, come, is not really Chinese or at least needs to be sinicized. And so that's, of course, uh, is a trend that then is making even more problematic uh, the situation, and we know what suffering and many argue genocide. Uh, the Uyghur communities are going through, but also growing violations in China for Christians that they have uh, to witness, you know, the destruction of their places of worship or very strong surveillance uh, of the gatherings of their communities. And, I mean, in the West, you have also growing forms of nationalism, populism, that use uh, Christianity, as a way of uh, uh, reinforcing this kind of politics of identity and that uh, automatically creates problems othering for other minorities. Yeah. I think there is this broader trend which unfortunately is affecting many parts of the world and making the situation for religious minorities quite worrying. Thank you, Professor Fabio. And you touched upon the idea that we're, you know, we're moving towards polarized state positions with the rise of religious nationalism and populism and to some degree that the failure of this principle of globalization that nation states to some degree are moving further and further away from each other particularly on the rights to freedom of religion and belief and you know the concept of universal principles and we wanted to understand based on your involvement with the OSCE you know how do you feel international diplomacy human rights organizations 
contribute to addressing the global challenges that you've identified yourself. And just to remind listeners, Khaled, the OCE, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, is a regional security-oriented intergovernmental organization comprising member states in Europe, North America and Asia. Its mandate includes issues such as arms control, the promotion of human rights, freedom of the press and free and fair elections. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, um, uh, the Organization uh, for Security and Cooperation in Europe was the result of the detent during the Cold War and brought together, you know, it was a kind of laboratory for uh, detent with the Soviet Union. And now it's interesting, from the beginning they developed a strong a tool uh, focusing on freedom of religion and belief, a panel of experts, because that was a problem at that point. But, you know, going more to the recent challenges, uh, I think it must be recognized that in the last two decades, uh, uh, finally, uh, these uh, human rights of freedom of religion or belief, which for very long was a sort of, uh, as a report of the British Parliament said, an orphaned right. So it was not really uh, a human right that was given a lot of attention. In the last two decades, this trend has changed for a number of reasons, and we have a number of tools, uh, diplomatic tools, international standards uh, that allows us to uh, try to combat these trends. Now, first of all, there is the UN Special Rapporteur. You mentioned uh, the, the current uh, office is held by Nadila Ganea, which is doing a very good job. There is the panel of experts of the OEC ODR. I've been mem- part of that, which is another uh, instrument that uh, can, uh, this international organization kind of instrument, they have as the mission to monitor the situation, to raise uh, um, uh, worry, concerns uh, to international organization and government so that something can be done by the international community. But even more importantly, I think, and that goes back in the last 10, 15 years, many governments have created new offices, new roles, new special envoys as part of their foreign policy with a specific mission to protect or promote freedom of religion or belief through foreign policy. Now, this was something that started exactly 25 years ago in the United States with the creation of a very complex system uh, that created, uh, there were, um, uh, which is created this international religious freedom system. Uh, basically, there was a, a bipartisan bill in 1998, which was passed in the American Congress, which created uh, a law by which the American government, in its foreign policy, uh, was legally binded to uh, raise the issue of the violation of freedom of religion or belief in any of its dealing diplomatically with other countries. I mean, that goes back to the centrality of these human rights for the American political system, the so-called First Amendment, we need to remember, is a freedom of religious freedom in the American Constitution. Now, since then, in the following two decades, nowadays we have a situation where uh, uh, the United Kingdom has a special envoy of the Prime Minister for freedom of religion and belief. So the tools have been improved, the attention to the topic has been politically raised. On the ground, the effects have been very limited. Uh, why? Because undoubtedly, you know, in terms of foreign policy, this 
is never a big priority. The priorities are of states, unfortunately, are not on the human rights agenda. And therefore, the situation has been that there has been a lot of what I would call, um, especially Western government, a lot of advocacy in terms of naming and shaming, in terms of megaphone diplomacy, denouncing country uh, of particular concerns for violation of freedom of religion and belief. But this hasn't brought much positive changes on the ground. Now, in the last five years, I think there has been a shift, an acknowledgement that this system of uh, top-down megaphone diplomacy is not really working. And there is a shift in actually uh, trying to work more bottom-up through development intervention. So creating streams of funding of, uh, of development, international development cooperation that are offered to, let's say, civil society actors and also growingly faith-based actors, in particular uh, countries of the global south. And the aim is to improve the environment. So, for example, to foster interreligious collaboration, to improve social cohesion, to combat stereotyping, or to combat hate speech. And so I think that's an, a useful turn um, because I think I, I'm more um, uh, optimistic about these changes, making this program in collaboration with local actors having some effect on the ground in schools, in uh, civil society, in different contexts. Thank you, Professor Fabio. Um, that is extremely uh, interesting and, and I can see that there's a lot of hard work being done by members like yourself to influence the political powers that be to realign their focuses um, on the importance of freedom of religion and belief and trying to combat the challenges that do very much exist on, on a global scale. And I, of course, it's it's frustrating to see that you know the recent exercise of sort of megaphone style diplomacy has inhibited the progress, but it's it's also very positive to think that there are changes that are being made, structural changes being made to the adaptation of uh, exercising freedom of religion of belief and, and bringing attention to interfaith dialogue. And I'll pass back over to Azar for any final thoughts. Yes, absolutely. I think spot on. And uh, Professor Fabio Pisito, I think fascinating insights into this topic of freedom of religion of belief. And I, and I found it obviously interesting that this has only gained more importance recently in the past sort of 10, 20 years. Um, and hopefully it, it gains more and more prominence when it comes to diplomatic discussions, foreign policy actions, etc. Uh, to come because policy actions now really do impact people's lives on the ground. So I, I thank you, Professor, for joining us today, and we can hopefully have you on at some point in the future as well on the show. Yeah, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to uh, discuss this very important topic. I will just leave you perhaps with one final uh, point, please, which I think speaks to the uh, hopeful side. I think there are there is an, a very important trend that actually makes me uh, a little bit more optimistic, and that has to do with the way in which many religious traditions all around the world nowadays are also on the side of engaging growingly in, in a new way in interreligious dialogue and collaboration. Yeah. So there are many religious leaders locally and globally who really think that this is now part of their core religious mission. 
And this is creating something new. You know, I just mentioned as an example the quite remarkable historical declaration on human fraternity signed in Abu Dhabi in 2019 by Pope Francis, the head of the Catholic Church, and the Grand Sheikh of Al-Hazar, uh, Al-Tayeb, yeah. in which basically the key message, and I want to conclude on that, was if we recognize, and we do recognize that we are um, uh, children of God, we are all brothers and sisters, and therefore we cannot treat each other uh, as slaves. We cannot press each other, and therefore remains the essence of our message that we need to work to include and be, respect each other's freedom more. It was a powerful declaration, and I think, you know, these ideas are moving, and the religious tradition are made, you know, of lead, global leaders, but also local leaders, and there is a hope there that things, change can come from within religious traditions to contribute to an improvement of this situation. Very powerful words, and um, on a positive uh, to finish on as well. Dr. Fabio Petito, thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So a interview that covered quite a few aspects of freedom of religion or belief. But Khalid, we've come to the end of our series one of the Faith and Freedom show. And I think it's worth reflecting also on the series as a whole. Yes. And I think um, it's it's been eye-opening when completing the research for a lot of these episodes and the way that we're seeing connections between each of the topics that we've discussed and originally starting with Professor Fabio's observations on the different types of religious restrictions that exist. And this takes me back to our first interview with Dr. Cesari, yes. where she also identified this kind of trend that there's there's two forms of predominant restrictions on freedom of religion and belief, the first being sort of state-sanctioned and then the second being non-state-sanctioned. And Professor Petito said that obviously the latter posing a more active threat to people on the ground. And then this obviously took my mind back to the interview that we did with John Pontifex and the observations that he was making around Christian persecution and obviously the examples that he was giving in his interview were related to Nigeria, which again was largely focused around the non-state sanctioned element of restrictions of freedom of religion belief and, and the violence that's experienced by the communities there. You've also taken some thoughts away Yes, absolutely. I mean, the running theme throughout is this marked increase also in the religious violence. The irony throughout this series is we are a far more globalised world. The world has opened up, people can travel freely, you can get from one end to the other within a day on a plane. But yet we, we see these rises. And he, he mentioned the example of China and India. In India, the idea that you can't be an Indian if unless you're a Hindu especially a narrative that is being put forward by the Modi government. We saw that in Myanmar with our interview with Dr. Ronan Lee, where the idea that if you're not a Buddhist, you are not from Myanmar. And Rohingyas were essentially excluded from the main populace. Quite a sad development that we've seen over these past few years. And we then delved into this idea, looking at Forbes on a more strategic level, that Forbes was an orphan topic, really, 20 years ago. And it was not discussed in foreign policy. It was not even taken seriously by governments like the United States and, and the UK. But now it is. Yeah. And we're, we're seeing that with some of the more nuanced reporting related to the topic. 
Um, we're seeing more creative ways to assess the impact of freedom of religion and belief. And this obviously is related to the research completed by uh, Dr. Brian Grimm. And again, the interview that we had with him on our previous episode and, and the works done by the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. You know, we're seeing examples of both restrictions that exist in polarized uh, areas of the world. We're looking at China, areas where religious freedom is uh, inhibitly restricted and, and quite aggressively restricted. And that's having an impact on the economies that exist there. And then you're seeing sort of the, the contrast in certain areas like the UAE, where there's a larger proliferation of religious freedoms, existence of churches and even synagogues, which has obviously um, created a kind of hotbed for both not only religious freedom, but then obviously economic freedom. And we're seeing proliferation of new policy, of new engagement at the international level between both politicians and diplomatic uh, bodies to create a wider array of assessment on the freedom of religion and belief. Absolutely. And you point crucially at the positives that we also see in this space, the idea that religious leaders can come together, work together, even though they're of different faiths, because at the end of the day, we are all brothers and sisters in faith. And it does not matter what our religions are. What matters is this concept of freedom of religion or belief. And that leads me to a quote from an address by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in the United States last year, when he inaugurated the Fatih Azim Mosque in Zion, where he said that regarding freedom of belief and freedom of conscience, we firmly believe that religion and belief is a personal matter and it is for each person to choose their own path. Ours is not a new position that we have assumed belatedly, rather it is based entirely on the original teachings of the Holy Quran. Quite poignant words there by Hazrat uh, Khalifa the Masih, the fifth successor of the Promised Messiah and the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community on the idea that we are one. Um, Religion should not divide us, but rather unite us. And Khalid, we are seated um, in a studio at the largest mosque in Western Europe, the Battle of the Mosque. And here on the 9th of March 2024 will take place the National Peace Symposium. The National Peace Symposium will invite leaders from this country, but also across the world, more than 800 guests, including secretaries of state, parliamentarians, diplomats, faith and civic leaders, most importantly, to join us to promote a deep understanding between those of faith and none, inspiring a concerted effort for lasting peace. And I think it, again, echoes the interview that we just had with Dr. Petito, that the idea of the way that we can move forward in terms of discussing the concept of freedom of religion and belief is not with megaphone-style diplomacy, but now with ground-up level diplomacy, which is extremely important and is reflected by events such as the 18th Peace Symposium for the Ambient Muslim Community. Absolutely. We've come to the end of this week's episode and series one of the Faith and Freedom show. I'd like to thank all of our panellists for the last six episodes, my co-host Khalid, and our listeners for listening in to this series. I'd like to mention that the views and opinions mentioned by the panellists are their views only and do not necessarily represent the views and the outlook of the Voice of Islam Radio. For feedback and for more information or to listen to this episode again, please log on to www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Until next time, in our next series, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.